welcome to the Level Up Grappling Podcast. I'm your host, Ed, along with my co-host, Coach Brian. And we've got another special, special guest, Professor Professor Melissa Howder. How are you Doing today? Doing all right. How are you? Good, good. Well, I first met you at the first Chris Howder seminar that I attended through PCI Jiu-Jitsu. And... Um, yeah, it was a super it was a super awesome experience for me, and I know that Coach Brian has a lot of history with the both of you guys, and so uh, I'm going to hand this off to Coach, and uh, we'll we'll sit back, I'll sit back a little bit and listen, and pop in here and there with a few questions. So it, this is very important that I point out that, in my opinion, Melissa Howder is the true first lady of grappling royalty, and I'll explain why. There are very few, first of all, the number of, of uh, black belts in the world and people that train as seriously as Melissa does is very few. We already know this. Then on top of that, when there's spouses, usually spouses don't train, right? So if the husband is training, the wife definitely doesn't train. And we, we typically see there's a lot less women in grappling arts than men. Chris uh, Melissa's husband is one of the dirty dozen, one of the first non-Brazilian black belts in the world, first 12. And Melissa has the distinct honor of being a highly ranked black belt herself and has been carrying the torch for submission grappling for decades now. And I think this is really, really important and really relevant because you rarely, if ever, see uh, couples training together. And somebody at Melissa's level is so rare so rare and it's such an honor and blessing and on top of that to have somebody such a a good of an instructor as melissa she's so clear and articulate and fun that she's able to engage people and really bring people to another level that's why among many reasons she's here on level up grappling podcast and we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today we're going to talk about her superhero origin story we're also going to talk about all the exciting things you can do if you're a member of combat based club and also their camp that's coming up uh, soon in Costa Rica. So, Melissa, take it away. And however you want to start and share with us, please, we want to hear your superhero origin story and take it from there. Well, thanks, Brian. Thanks for that introduction and for all of your kind words that you had to say. Um, you know, I, I personally feel that in the last five to 10 years, we've seen a dramatic increase in the number of women training jujitsu in particular, um, you know, spouses. I think that that's a really great way for women to get into jujitsu is their significant other does it. And I can think of, you know, a handful, if not a dozen women right off the top of my head who I met 20 years ago and decided to get on the mat about 10 years ago and are now black belts as well partners of Chris's black belts. Um, some of them aren't black belts yet, but you know, many of them have decided to dedicate themselves to, um, accomplishments in jujitsu. Uh, so I see a big turn happening, a big shift happening there. So I don't think that I don't feel so unique anymore. I feel unique when I go pick up my kids from school but I don't feel unique when I'm in a room full of grapplers or, you know, when I'm sending Chris around the world and a couple is running a gym, a husband and wife black belt or whatever. It's, it's, it's becoming a lot more common. And I would say that in the next 10 years, it will probably be the norm. Um, I don't feel that the number of men and women will ever be equal because I believe that men have a much more natural instinct to want to fight 
and that um, not, you know, aggressive females, it, it's not very socially acceptable. And I would consider myself a somewhat aggressive female, an aggressive female in recovery. So I've, I've always kind of identified more with like, uh, like with a male kind of drive, like I have that, mm -hmm. you know, that I don't know, I don't have high testosterone, my testosterone levels are actually low. Um, I have like none and women are supposed to have some and I have like none. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not that it's something else. And I don't know where it comes from. And oftentimes I feel like I wish I didn't have it. I wish I could just be soft and gentle and whatever, because then maybe life would be a lot more easy for me to navigate. Um, because people don't like my tone of voice. But if a man talked like that, <laughs> it would be fine, right? So the origin of me is being a person who came into this world and never felt like I fit in. Um, you know, from the time I was a little kid, uh, my family, I come from a line of cheerleaders, which might seem like it's the opposite of my personality, but I actually gravitate and, and loved acting. So I could act like a cheerleader, which I did for six years through middle school and high school. Um, and I was involved in drama and, you know, I did well in high school, um, academically, but socially it was always very challenging because I just, again, never felt like I really fit in. And that's, that, you know, I still, to this day, I struggle socially. Um, but I feel like, you know, even cool jujitsu people are one thing and then weird jujitsu people, I just can't hang. Like that's, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of cool people, but then you also meet people who aren't that cool. It's like any group, you know? Um, yeah. And I think meeting Chris, I met him in Hermosa Beach, close by where we live. I believe I met him years before, like at the gym in the park, our paths just crossed. We both remember meeting each other. But when we, he finally like asked me out on a date because we came in contact because of his dog or whatever. And he was running off to train every night. And I'm like, where the heck are you going? He's like, I'm going to go do jujitsu. And I had heard of jujitsu before from my friend Carolyn. Her brother had taken some classes and he was showing me some arm bars and stuff. So, um, you know, my husband that wasn't my husband at the time, Chris, <laughs> he uh, was running off and I was like, oh, I want to go do that too. But, you know, I, I had a lot of anxiety too. And I still have a lot of anxiety, a lot less now, but I had so much social anxiety that I could never, ever, ever imagine myself saying, hey, I'm interested in this jujitsu. I think I'll go walk into this academy where all these sweaty men are rolling around and try it out. That, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> but to like go with Chris, like, sure. Yeah. Okay. He's a teacher. I'm just like tagging along. So I started tagging along and um, he, he was kind of going through a lot of personal issues at the time and didn't really take very good care of me in the class. And I would get like thrashed and have to go to, you know, urgent care because some like 200 pound dude pressed on my chest and then I couldn't walk the next day. Like I was getting like tortured, but part of my weird, whatever mental health issues is that like torture is something that I'm really into. Um, <laughs> not like any, 
<laughs> you know, like no, no judgment. I, no I judgment. used to drink really excessively and come home like bruised mm. from head to toe. Like I've been knocked out, like blood everywhere, waking up in you know just horrible, horrible situations. And prior to meeting Chris, I completely became abstinent from alcohol for a year. Um, so, you know, th this seemed like a good way to get tortured without like, you know, and be able to remember everything. Um, mm -hmm. so I was going out to, to get my, you know, couple week time worth of torture with Chris. And, um, I said, Chris, there's gotta be some way I can learn, actually learn what to do here. Cause I just didn't feel like what I was doing in the classes didn't really stick, you know, um, I feel like I identify as somebody who learns slowly and needs to have a lot of questions answered. I really have to understand things and dissect things and pick them apart to really grasp concepts. And I actually think that's what makes me a good instructor, right? Because I really understand mm -hmm. what's going on and I break things down and I try to explain things really clearly and use words and actions. And, you know, whereas when I watch my husband teach, a lot of times he says this and that and there and here. And I'm like, Chris, mm -hmm. for auditory process learners, you're losing them all because they don't know what this and mm -hmm. that and here and there is. So anyways, that's a whole nother topic. But, you know, learning slowly, he hooked me up with Cindy Omatsu, who is the first female, like the female dirty dozen. She's number one, the first American uh, female black belt. And I did private lessons with her and went to small group training and women's classes with her. And I think that really helped me to solidify concepts. Now, I believe that my most of my technical knowledge, the wealth of it comes from Chris and my philosophies and stuff like that. But it wasn't sinking in until I started working with Cindy. And it really helped that she was a small female, you know, that could relate to issues I would have, you know, in terms of making techniques work, even though I was little. So, um, yeah. So that's kind of like how it started the origin of me doing jujitsu uh, with Chris and with Cindy um, and... Yeah. What else do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Well, you know, so we actually had a, a listener question specifically for you. Uh, and it had to do with, you know, given the fact that, you know, you've been on the mat for years and since you've, you know, or really, if you think about it, one of the f first group of women coming up, you know, in, in, at the, especially at the time as such a male dominated environment, what was that like for you? Um, were you ever turned away from schools or gyms saying, you know, with people saying they didn't want to train with you because you're a female? Did you experience, uh, you know, a certain degree of prejudice or discrimination because of your gender? Oh, that's a nice question. Well, I mean, I, I think that, First off, there was there was a group of females who's like the female dirty dozen and a few after that. And then I was kind of like in the second wave, I would say. So there were some yeah. women and I was really appreciated, appreciative of having, you know, Cindy as my coach. And then like Felicia O would come down and train with us a lot. And other women would kind of gravitate towards that women's group. And also we would have Sunday open mats and some you know, lightweight guys would come roll with us. So we had like our little lightweight group at the Higa Machado Academy um, over here in Redondo Beach. So that was, 
something that happened that was a good thing. You know, I never felt like anybody didn't want to roll with me when I was in those groups specifically. Um, however, you know, going to just like a mixed class, um, I would find that me and the heaviest guy in the room would be like the ones that nobody would ask to roll. So guess who mm. I rolled with? The heaviest guy in the room. It was me and Ed rolling, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like me and some guy that was like twice my size, super huge, you know. And we would just work technical, you know, and um, see what we could do. And I remember going to some open mats where, you know, the ladies and those light guys didn't show up. And it was just, you know, the normal dudes. And um, they would bring their kids and I would end up playing with their kids on the side of the mat. Mm. I was either working on like abs or playing with their kids. And I'm not going to put it 100% on them because I'm sure had I asked them, will you roll with me? Will you work with me? That they would have said yes. What are they going to say? No, no, they wouldn't say that. But I just told you I have social anxiety and I don't feel like I fit in. And, you know, I needed to be coddled. I needed somebody to advocate for me because I was unable to do that for myself, you know, and I was in my, my early to mid twenties at the time, but my maturity level was much, much lower because remember, I just shared with you, I used to drink a lot. And I feel like, yeah. you know, and come from a traumatic kind of, it's not the worst story in the world, but just like I had a lot of childhood trauma and issues and whatever of a lot of stuff. I'm bringing mm. a lot of stuff to the table. And so, you know, and, and again, I think that's all stuff that makes me a good instructor. Not that I have that many students, but um, whenever people come over to my house to roll, if somebody is sitting on the mat too many rounds, I say so-and-so roll with so-and-so. You know, I will not mm. let people come to my mat room, show up to think they're going to train and end up watching the whole time because mm. I know that's happened to me. And most people are too focused in on what they're doing, that they don't pay attention. You know, one mm. of the questions that I hate the most when people come to my mat is they mm. ask me if I'm training when I'm sitting on the mat in my gi, it like drives me nuts. I'm like, no, I just, I'm just sitting here. I'm just sitting here fully dressed <laughs> in my gear. I'm putting my gi on right now. Why are you asking me if I'm training? If I wasn't going to train, then I wouldn't be here. <laughs> right? So everybody yeah. who shows up for open mat is there because they want to train. It's not necessarily yeah. that they want to roll till they, you know, take it hundred percent. Maybe they want to work on technique, mm -hmm. but they want to work on something. They're not there to sit and watch. Nobody shows up to sit and right. watch and with a gi on sitting on the mat. So anyways, um, yes, I do feel like there was some discrimination. I still feel that way to this day. I feel like, you know, people would much rather, not everyone. So I shouldn't say people. I should say there's a large population of people in our community who would much rather listen to Chris, talk to Chris. Uh, you know, I have a camp. I'm, I'm, we're doing a camp, but they want to talk to Chris about it. They want to host a seminar. They want to talk to Chris about it. I run combat base, homies. Okay. Maybe not for much longer, but I run combat base. Maybe forever. Who knows? Mm. But it's me. I'm the one. <laughs> Chris shows up and teaches. That's what he does. If you want to chat on the phone and shoot the shit, I'm your girl. 
I'm your woman, actually, because yeah. I don't like being called a girl. I'm your woman. I am the one who you can talk to. I am the the I am the people person of combat base. And you know, that wasn't me 20 years ago. I didn't have the confidence to be who I am and do what I'm doing now. But I feel very confident today in taking charge of a room full of men. In fact, I really love it. Like it gives me extreme <laughs> satisfaction to know that I am capable of telling a bunch of men what to do and how to put their bodies and teaching them how to fight. That, that actually makes me happy. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to do it. <laughs> but <laughs> when I do get to do it and the fact that I've reached this point in my jujitsu journey where I feel a hundred percent confident in doing it, it's like I've come so far because even when I got my black belt, which was in 2011, yeah. I would not teach men because I don't know. I feel like they would, you know, try to overpower me or show me how my shit doesn't work or not listen to me or whatever. I have, I have stereotypes about you guys too. <laughs> Okay, but hold on. Let, let me let me push back on that a little bit, and I'm going to say why. What? Because for years, I'm going to push back on you a little bit because for years, you trained me and helped me, and Melissa actually has the distinct honor of arm barring me more times than any other human on this planet. Wow. Especially when I was like a, you know, a white belt, blue belt and stuff like that. Melissa would beat my ass all the time. And I knew it was coming. She had this one thing where she had like this open guard pass. She'd go pass, whirl around, arm bar me. I'm like, shit, here comes the arm bar again. Like I knew it was coming. It just didn't matter. It's just, there's no way I could stop it. But I always felt, because I've had, I've always had my own social anxiety, especially like, you know, being on the mat in the garage. I, you know, I've told this story, like, you know, there was days when it's just like some of the nastiest guys in the world, big, mean, all these, you know, black belts, Hegan's guys and stuff like that. And it's like, when you're like the white belt, blue belt in the room and everybody else is just like mean and pissed off and they've been doing it a lot longer than you, it sucks. And for me, Melissa was one of the few people that had the kindness enough to be like, to actually train with me. And because I'm very awkward and I don't think I'm an athletic person at all. Right. So we always put this thing. I always post this thing, mechanics over attributes, because I'm probably I consider myself one of the least attribute gifted people on the planet. I always trip over my own feet. But Melissa was one of the few people in my life that's been able to be generous enough with her time to help me, even though she beat me up all the time. And like I said, consistently armbarred me. But you were kind enough to, to train me and work with me when other people just looked at me and was like, well, we're just going to ragdoll this guy just because, you know? So I think you always had it. You had that gift. I just think that, uh, you know, maybe th th there was that energy, right? Cause that's why like there's other places I'd go train and I didn't like the energy. And, it, I, and a lot of times I always felt safe in the garage. It was a much safer environment emotionally for me emotionally and psychologically but also like i said a big part of that was you oh you know because i i didn't have you go into the, some of these other rooms and you have these guys even as a guy going into a room you have these guys staring you down looking at you going yeah you piece of shit i'm gonna wreck you today but why you know i'm just there to learn but nobody really wants there's this idea where it, you know we've talked about it before there's this idea in the I would say in the Brazilian culture of this intellectual oppression, right? Where they don't want you better than yeah. them. 
they they want to, it's like, you know, they, they change the belt requirements. Anybody who follows their nonsense, they change this, they change that. Who can have a stripe? Who can't have a stripe? They do all this nonsense and make everybody jump through hoops like little circus animals. But at the end of the day, that intellectual oppression is is something you know, foreign to say like an American culture. And I think one of the things that really helped a lot, which I, I would love for you to talk about a little bit is you're also a teacher, you know, you're a math teacher, you're a tutor, you, you, you have a way of helping people. And so you already have that gift. You have that skill set, And I think that's one of the things in my opinion has separated you from the pack, you know, that enabled me to have a certain, you know, a, a attachment and ability to learn, because you can teach and you weren't afraid to show something because, yeah, it didn't matter if I was 50 pounds heavier than you. You helped bring me up. And, yes, you could armbar me 50 times in a row, 60 times in a row. didn't matter. Whatever. Right? Pass armbar. Pass armbar. Okay. One day I'll figure out how to defend it. But in the meantime, she's going to kick my ass, which was fine. But that level of generosity you have as an instructor, I think, carries forward not just on the mat, but in your other businesses. And I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit in terms of how you were able to translate your abilities as a teacher on a broad scale. Mm. Okay. Well, again, thank you for your kind words. Um, yeah. I mean, that time when you were here training with us, it seems like a lifetime ago. Like, I feel like I'm a completely different person. I'm sure you do too. Like we're completely different yeah. people than we were then. And what you talked about, you know, me giving you tips one-on-one, -on -one, it's like you were safe. Like you have to be safe. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll teach a guy some stuff, but first I have to figure out that you're, you're safe and you're not like one of those guys. Like if I teach a big old group, I'm, I could encounter some assholes, you know? So, yeah. you, so that's kind of what I was referring to. And, um, but the entire time that I've done jujitsu from the very first beginning, beginning, when I was a new white belt, I was teaching. And because I identify as a person who has taught, I, I teach, that's what I do. I figured that out when I was, I think in the eighth grade, um, that teaching was like a gift that I have. And, um, mm. You know, I know a lot of people pay a lot of money to go to school or take seminars or whatever to improve their teaching ability. And I'm not going to say that I couldn't benefit from that because I probably could. But um, but yeah, I started like tutoring math when I was in the eighth grade with fourth graders. And I've been doing that ever since. And for many years from like 2000, I would say from 2005 till about 2015, I ran my own tutoring business. And I went out and worked with students on a regular basis. Um, and then at that point, that's when I uh, had my second child. And I decided that I was going to let go of the tutoring business and just focus on combat base with Chris. Um, because I don't know about you guys, but running two businesses at the same time and having children, it just seemed like that would be unmanageable. <laughs> um so I decided to team up with Chris so I wouldn't have to be out all night every night. And now he's out all night every night, which anyways, whatever. Um, trying to work family <laughs> life, that's a whole nother topic that I could go off on for a long, long time. Um, but so, yeah, I don't know. I feel like with math, 
again, my gift is that I am not a natural mathematician, just like I am not, I don't think that I'm a natural athlete, though some might tend to argue. I grew up a very overweight child who participated in no sports. Like if there was a pie eating contest, that might've been a sport for me. Um, how many hot dogs can you shove in your mouth? How much food can you shove in your mouth and how fast can you do it? That would have been my sport. And then it wasn't until I started doing cheerleading in the seventh grade. That's when I found out that I did have some athletic ability and, you know, there was also a lot of eating disorder stuff going on. So I, I kind of became a little anorexic. That's how I got skinny. You know, I had issues eating in front of people, blah, blah, blah. I I have a lot of issues. So recovering in many ways. Um, but yeah, that's, that is all part of the story. And around that time as well, I'm a cheerleader, I'm doing drama, I'm doing, you know, student government. And I started tutoring and, uh, I started really understanding math. I was in advanced math class and it's like understanding math backwards and forwards. Like I could write a textbook is how I feel all the way to calculus, you know, um, cause I really would spend hours. Like I was that kid in high school. Like I was a geek, I guess, because I would take my book and I would take the answer key and I would be like going backwards and forwards with these problems and understanding every which way you could do them. And that's the same thing with jujitsu, right? What I did when I would take, just get some girls and it was always like a group of girls. Hey, you want to learn what I'm learning? This martial arts that I'm learning. And I would backwards and forwards dissect these techniques in kind of like a workshop with them. And they never, I don't think any of those girls, zero out of any of the women that I worked with when I was a colored belt stayed with jujitsu. But it's one of those things where it was about me. It wasn't about them. You know, it was about me understanding Mm. and having people that I could, you know, work with the processing on because just going to class and like with a bunch of dudes, that wasn't going to cut it for Mm. me to really learn and understand. So, um, Like I said, I started in the eighth grade with that kind of process and all my years of doing that with math and and with with science in college and everything. I have a degree in marine biology. So I took a lot of like Mm. physics and chemistry and all these different sciences and um, labs and all kinds of different things. And I think it's just a process like like I identify, too, as having somebody with some pretty significant ADD that's never really fully been diagnosed. But my therapist agrees with me. I have ADD. Okay. And uh, to come up with ways to manage my ADD on my own, like I didn't have a therapist as a kid, but I figured out a way to become a straight A student and to, you know, make the lists I needed to make and set the time and be organized. And it all goes into my anxiety, too, because like if everything doesn't go according to plan, I fail the class. (laughs) If I can't do my process, you know, then it's like, Oh, what happened? My process. And then you throw alcohol in the mix and it's just like academic probation. But, um, there goes the ADD. So the question was about, uh, was about how I use that. So yeah, I use the same kind of processes and understanding jujitsu and then, you know, being able to relay that information to multiple different types of learners. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. And teaching through various modalities and making sure I'm clear with the with the visual cues. I'm clear with the auditory cues and I'm clear with, you know, demonstrating and seeking out those students who, like me, need to feel it and go let them feel it. Like uh, you have to pay attention. Mm -hmm. 
If you're in a room with 25 people or 30 people teaching a seminar, you got to be walking around and seeing which ones need you to actually do it on them or they're never going to get it at all, right? Because that's me. That's me today Mm -hmm. in a room learning a technique. I have a white belt female partner and I'm a third degree black belt and she's trying to show me how to do the move because I can't get it unless the instructor comes over and does it on me. (laughs) And then it answers all my 10 questions that I have about it. Yeah, so, yeah I'm, I'm the hi. same way. And I would, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, no, and um, Melissa, you, yeah, you're literally speaking to, I'm, I'm just, I'm exactly the same way. And so um, when Coach Brian trains with me, he's, he's, he's always doing the move on me. I'm having to both hear it and experience it in order for me to truly, truly understand exactly. Again, it's conceptual, right? It's not just based on the movement. And so I I completely understand. And then to your point about the whole ADD stuff in terms of needing a process and everything on behalf of level up grappling, I want to apologize for all the technology issues we had (laughs) getting up to this point. But thanks for being patient with us. And uh, but yeah, no, I think it's interesting what you guys are talking about, both being in a sense, being academics, right? Um, you're, you're a teacher, you know, Coach Brian comes from a lineage of teachers. I'm a college professor, basically. And so I, I understand in the sense of like, yeah, if you're at a seminar with, you know, 25 people, 30 people, 40 people, however many, and you have to spread as an instructor, you're having to be have this wherewithal and look for how are people learning? Right. The different like you're saying, the different modalities and how somebody learns. And some people are audio audible. Some people are hands on. Some people are a hybrid of mm-hmm. both. And I think that's what makes it's interesting because what Brian was telling about what you how you taught him is what I see him teaching me. There's this kindness. There's this grace in terms of how he approaches my teaching. And I, like you, will always ask him these little questions of like, why is my hand here? Can you show me why that's there? You know every little thing and you know brian will all coach brian will always make me teach it back Mm -hmm. to him right in fact that's how pci works is that he'll always make us teach it back it's a part of the curriculum it's a part of how we learn and i and i have a high appreciation for that so i appreciate you and thanks for sharing all of that and but yeah um I didn't mean to hijack the conversation in that sense, but it was, I just think that there's, a, I, I find it extremely valuable in how somebody learns and vice versa, how a teacher teaches, right? Both whether it's jujitsu, whether it's academic, whatever it is, um, the coach or the teacher understanding their students, I think is a big deal. And I think in terms of the way that we would understand level up grappling is also like, you know, what are, what are people looking for in their teachers? You're right. You can walk into any school now and it's like, okay, great. This guy's a, you know, 20 time world champion for this and this and this and that they have all the gold medals and trophies hanging around on the walls. But does that mean that they're actually a great teacher? I, you know, I look at, I play golf for fun and I look at Tiger Woods would never be an amazing instructor. He's an amazing player, but he won't be able to teach the way that he was, you know, his technique why he plays golf the way he does. And to you guys, to it's like you guys are able to teach. And I think that's way more powerful than any competitive accolades that they're, that, you know, that anybody has. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I think, you know, not, not, you don't have to be the greatest practitioner in the world to be a good instructor, you know, and then Chris would even take it a step further is that if, 
to be highly successful and have a lot of students, it requires some element of like personality and the ability to connect with people and to, you know, be a, a likable person. I don't know if I have that. I mean, I know I can connect with people, but I still have like social issues. Like I don't see us ever owning a gym. I really don't at this point. It's like Chris is 58 and a half years old. I'm almost 45. Like, I don't think we're going to be running a gym and we just have like our garage stuff and we travel around and we do, do the seminars and whatever, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I just don't, I don't know how many like students I will ever have. Like, I just, this feels like a handful, you know, and a lot of people, like I've promoted a, a handful of people to purple belt and they've stopped or switched instructors, you know, just but it's, it's interesting. But I, I like, again, like I said earlier, I think I still, I teach because I want to teach, not because I'm trying to collect students. <laughs> mm. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Now let's springboard off of that. Can you share with us what your idea was behind the Costa Rica camp that you have coming up and the ideas behind that and, uh, when that is and what the goals are with that camp. Yeah. So, um, I've always thought that having a camp would be fun. I've thought about it in my head in a lot of different ways. And it just so happened that we had a student who was living in Costa Rica. I was also in contact with a guy down in Panama who I was thinking about maybe setting a camp up with him and the student from Costa Rica, you know, had checked out this place and he sent me the information about it and he really wanted us to come down and do this. So I said, you know what, let's give it a shot. And, you know, in retrospect, I wish I had a year to plan it, but I started planning it in late December, which was only like six months. Um, had I had a year, I feel that we would have had a lot more support because people had already planned their summer vacations. Like what is with you people planning so far ahead? You know, I mean, it would have been a lot <laughs> better for me if you would like, I never plan my <laughs> summer vacation a year ahead, but a bunch of people do. They plan their summer vacation a year in advance. So yeah, a bunch of our students can't come, which is a total bummer. I'm very disappointed, but um, a few can. And so right now, you know, we still have some spots available and we'd love to see you there. Um, the camp is June 12th through 17th. Um, we are flying into Liberia International Airport in Costa Rica. And then a shuttle van's going to pick people up and bring them straight to the lodge, which is in Nosara. The lodge, um, you know, it includes three meals a day. It has different types of accommodations. It has a pool. It has a cold plunge. And it also has a fully functioning MMA gym on the premises. So wow. there's, you know, every day there's like Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu, Gi and No Gi, kids and adults going on throughout the day. And then they have blocks of time reserved for retreats. And so during those blocks of time, we're going to have, you know, every day, Tuesday through Friday. So the arrival is on Monday, departure on Saturday. So Tuesday through Friday, Chris will do like a two hour seminar. Uh, like he does. And it will be on a different topic every day. I'm going to teach probably two sessions. I'm going to get some yoga in there as well. And then I've asked one of Chris's black belts, our combat-based black belt, Julia Avila, who's a UFC fighter. She's going to teach a session and maybe do some hit workouts with the group. There's going to be a group surf lesson, a waterfall hike, 
um, that's all included in the price, as well as, like I said, three meals a day. I heard the food is really wonderful. They do accommodations for gluten-free and vegetarian and vegan, all kinds of stuff. Um, it looks, you know, like, like the resort, like it's going to be pretty awesome. And, um, you know, the group that we have coming right now, it's a, there's a mixture of different, uh, skill levels, but we do have several black belts and we have about 50, 50 male to female ratio. So that's kind of cool too. And, um, so jujitsu couples, several jujitsu couples will be there. Like we talked about, you know, Julia's husband, um, Cody is a brown belt. Uh, you know, Chris and I will be there and a couple other couples and some singles. And uh, yeah, we'd really like to have a few more people join us. So it's at combatbase.com. And of course, if you have any questions, you could always text me, email me, call me, whatever, Instagram me. So let's talk about combatbase.com a little bit because it's a really cool website and you guys have all kinds of really cool videos on there and people can actually sign up to be affiliated under you guys so that they, if they want to compete, they can do that for competitions because some of these competitions, they have really weird requirements. So can you tell us a little bit more about combat based club and uh, what you guys are doing with the website? Yeah. So uh, we never really had that much organization, you know, Chris would travel around and do his seminars and, you know, he would promote students. They would have him out for a seminar. He did the promotions and then COVID happened. And I said, we got to have a little bit more, a better way to do this. There's got to be a better way because everything went down to zero. For for most of us who are in the martial arts industry, everything went down to zero in COVID. Um, so out of that was born the idea for the Combat Base Club. And um, it was my idea. <laughs> It wasn't Chris's idea. Chris has a lot of good ideas, but mostly they're about like, you know, ventriloquists, puppets and things like that. Mine are <laughs> more practical type, like, you know, how are we going to feed our kids? Um, hope he doesn't listen to this. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, so I had the idea that, you know, we start like many people have a video library we have different series and that we film and contribute to this video library, which has grown and grown over the past two years. I guess it is now. Is it two or three? It's three years already since COVID started. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So yeah, we've been filming videos and editing them. Chris is good at editing. He likes to do that. And so he contributes in that way to the, to the editing. And, you know, he is the star of the show. We'd be nothing without him. Um, but yeah, so we, we have videos on the site uh, and, and the idea is that anybody could sign up regardless of affiliation, regardless of anything. I really like the idea of inclusivity. I do not mm. like the idea of exclusivity. I do not like the idea of this is the way we do it and join in my way. And then we can all be together with the same vibe or whatever. That's not my vibe. My vibe is we are all individuals. We're all different. And I appreciate and love what different people have to bring to the table. Um, and doesn't mean I don't have my style and my philosophy and I don't try to pass that on to my students, but it's like one of my favorite things that Chris says is learn the rules so you can break them. You know, like mm -hmm. when I'm teaching my students, I say, look, this is my advice. Learn this really well first. And then you want to mess around with all this other stuff. Then you mess around with that other stuff. But like 
build a solid foundation first. And that's what I did. And I feel like it's really benefited me in, you know, technical grappling, grappling. And it's like, it also applies to life, right? So what was I talking about? ADD, combatbase.com. So, um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, combatbase.com. So you can join just like as an individual member. We're still doing, we do a few Zoom classes. Like I like to teach yoga. Our group has really appreciated the yoga. Um, And then we have some high intensity interval training, which I really appreciate. And I think more people should appreciate it because it really does help with fitness. And one of the things that Chris has taught me recently um, since I've been what I would say a mature grappler with a body Mm. that has aged, um, is that I do my jujitsu for jujitsu and I do my exercise for exercise. So that means that I'm Mm. not trying to get a workout when I do jujitsu and it's a hard concept and not everybody has to do it. But if you have a lot of injuries and you still want to participate in jujitsu, that's me. That's who I am right now. I'm that person and I want to participate. And I believe what Chris said, because he's been doing it and he trains like five to six days a week and he's 58 and a half years old, like, and he has a lot of injuries. How is he doing that? How? Well, he doesn't have this dynamic, fun, fast, athletic, sweat all over the mat, ring out my rash guard game. Okay. Neither do I as of the last like 18 months. And you know, it hurts my ego, but uh, hopefully, you know, my body will benefit from it. So anyways, we have hit classes and then Chris, Chris gets online once a month and answers questions and teaches some technical stuff. Um, so it's a way to connect with people all across the world through the combat base club. That's just a basic membership. And then we have different levels of membership, which include like, if you want us to be your mentors, we are happy to be your mentors, you know, and, um, I do my best to like act as the liaison between students and Chris and, you know, connect him with students when they want to connect and, you know, just like we'll set up Zoom times and have chats and do stuff like that um, or FaceTime or whatever. And, uh, and you know, just look, like to me, it's about connection. And so if somebody wants to be mentored by us and they want to compete in IBJJF, we're able to sign off on their documents or whatever, you know, whatever kind of support they need. If people are interested in obtaining rank and they want to make sure, you know, they they know what to do to get to the next level, what we think, you know, it does require, though, if we're ranking people and doing all these types of things that we have some in-person contact. So there's levels of membership that include, you know, invitations over to our garage open mats. Uh, premium members get 50% off of on private lessons with me or with Chris. Um, and uh, also Chris can come out and do a seminar or me, but I don't really do them as much. But I am going to Wisconsin. When am I going? Not this weekend, but next weekend because the people out there really appreciate me. So I'm going to Wisconsin to teach a seminar. But yeah, I prefer to send Chris. It just seems easier. (laughs) 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 And he's way more popular. It's like, go let him use his body. I'll just sit here and take the dog for a walk and stretch and foam roll. And yeah, I'm pretty banged up, you guys. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, there's probably a smarter way to go through jujitsu than the way I did. Like arm barring Brian a thousand times was probably not the best for my hips. Um, you know, my hips are really suffering. And, um, so yeah, I just don't know. I just don't know. I try not to get too depressed about it and just like be happy Mm. for what I still can do focus on what I can do and then have the willingness 
to take the time to work on PT and rolling out and doing all the things, taking the Theragun and the ice and the hot and the this mm-hmm. and the that. It's because it's just, I don't even know. And like, I believe too that a woman with a small frame getting smashed a bunch is taking a lot more force on the joints than a larger size man. Not to say you guys don't have your own issues because a lot of times, like if you're a real big guy, then you're carrying around all that weight on your joints. So stuff deteriorates too. So it's like those people on the extreme ends, we get screwed, right? Right, Ed? Yeah, we're screwed. Oh yeah. I got a full on, (laughs) I hurt my back, herniated disc. It's, um, and it was all because I'm, I'm a bigger guy. I'm like two, 275 right now. And <laughs> funny story, I was at Disneyland and I have a year and a half year old oh. daughter and it was just a little thing. I was picking her up and I slipped just a little bit, caught myself in a weird position cause I'm not going to drop my daughter. And there you go. Six months later, here I am like a severely herniated disc, but my neurosurgeon told me, he's like, Hey, you can, I said, can I continue to do jujitsu? And he's like, yes, just don't be dumb about it. And ever since Coach Brian comes over to my house, drops off his mats, and goes, you're training. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I, I totally understand that. And, yeah, as a bigger guy, like, the extra weight that we, uh, that you know, that we carry, um, it's, first off, yeah, it's harder to find training partners that are our size, you know, um, because it's weird because when I train, I don't want to use my – I know that I'm training with a smaller person. I don't want to use my yeah. weight. Right. I don't want to use my weight, but you know, it's interesting because I would say in a comp- competitive setting or in a street setting, yeah, I'm going to use my weight. So to train without it, it, I think there's a bit of a slight disadvantage, but definitely like if I were to, if I were to roll you know, again with you or anybody, you know, of a small stature compares to me. Yeah. I know that even if I try not to put weight on you, it's going to put weight on you. It's going to put stress on your joints and everything, and it will deteriorate in that sense. So, yeah. So I, I get it. Totally get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So the so I feel like if we um, if I compare like where Chris was at my age to where I am at my age, it seems like he wasn't as banged up, you know. Um, but yeah, he has his he has his own injuries, and he doesn't he doesn't complain too bad anymore. Like, I think, I think 40 year olds complain the worst. That's like what he said to people in their forties. We complain the most because we still want it to be how it was when we were in our thirties and people in their fifties, they stop <laughs> complaining. Cause there's like, there's this shit just sucks. You know, it just sucks. Like, we, I don't, he doesn't even have to complain anymore. And when he was in his forties, I was still like, what was I? I was in my thirties. Right. And so I would always be like, why are you always complaining? Ah," You know, and I totally get it now because it hurts, man. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so Ed had a question for you about the superstitions. What was it, Ed? Did you? Oh yeah. So we're, we're calling this the uh, Steve Silver superstition inquisition. It's just a funny little rhyme. Steve Silver's was uh, our first guest on the show. And, um, coach Brian and Steve were talking about superstitions and so as a, as a new tradition to the show, we'd like to ask you, are there any rituals or superstitions that you have when it comes to your jujitsu and or grappling? So is there, you know, are there a specific pair of shorts that you will always wear or a rash guard you'll always wear? Or, you know, does it have to be the magic kimono that you have to wear? Or is there a certain food that you like to eat? Um, just wondering if you have any of these types of superstitions. Uh, I think when I was younger I probably was more like that you know I was probably more 
like needed to eat a certain amount of time and certain, you know, food that I thought was going to give me the most energy or a certain ghee that I moved the best in that was light. I actually now, okay. So if I'm just talking about right now, the ghees that I'm wearing are tight pants and like not the best fitting ghee and not the ghee that allows me to move the best because I don't want to hurt my hip. And if I can't use my full range of motion because my gi's a little tighter, I actually feel safer. So I guess that would be my current superstition is that I have to wear these tight pants so that I can't, because I used to be super duper flexible. You guys, I could do the splits in every direction. It was like, it's like really depressing because it wasn't even that long ago. It was just a couple years, like two years ago. I was totally good. Okay. Wait, it happened in COVID. Chris stretched my leg really far into the splits. And I was like, this doesn't even hurt. I can do the splits. And then all of a sudden it popped and I tore my groin and then like never healed. Um, yeah, it never healed. And I was like training hard, you know, me and all the 180 plus dudes in my garage, just like sweating, getting it all whatever. And I couldn't sleep at night because my hip would just hurt and ache and my groin and my hip. And I finally went to the doctor and they're like, you have hip dysplasia and both of your hips are going to need to be replaced. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, no, that's not what's going to happen. That's terrible. So I'm not doing that just for today. But, um, but yeah, like it, I didn't know. And, and I like sometimes think, gosh, these people will not leave me alone. I sometimes think that um, maybe I was so flexible because, you know, hip dysplasia, your ball and socket joint is like this. Well, mine are like this. So I can move it more. But I'm moving it and I'm wearing all that cartilage out. And it yeah. just, it's not happy. It's just not happy. Mm. So, um, oh, goodness. Yeah. Kind of. Wow. Kind of not that great. Man. So, you know what? I'm going to – so as far as the whole superstition stuff goes, yeah, If you since you said you had one A4 uh, magic kimono left, I'll probably take that off your hands. So I'll make that my superstitious, you know, lucky Aww. gi. So, <laughs> so I'm saying that on publicly. My wife's probably going to kill me for saying that and spending listen? that kind of money. But anyway <laughs> – no, I don't know. Actually, I think she does. She did. Um, she told me the other day, like we had one episode, we had a technical issue and she's like, she's driving to work, listening to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she said, Hey, uh, your audio sounds really weird. So we got that fixed, but yeah. So <laughs> Julie, I'm sorry. I'm going to get a geek. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it'll be my lucky gi. Cool. So <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Right, some so patches on I, that I, bad boy. Yeah. 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 I got I got one more question for you because I I love being a lightning rod for controversy. So I, I just want to throw this out there because you're you're very intelligent and articulate and you've been carrying the flag for so long as an independent entity, you know, combat base. <sighs> to what degree uh, is the rest of the world, or in the very least, the Americans here, but really the rest of the world, going to kind of push back on the Brazilians? in the sense of the, 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 the bullying that's been going on in terms of trying to dominate an art that they truly did not invent, you know, and I'm really talking about, you know, Gracie Baja that owns IBJJF. If people don't know that IBJJF is not a real foundation. It's a for-profit tournament company that tries to bully people about how they can give rankings and belts and all this. When, how how much longer are people going to take this until we continue to push back and say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to have our own tournament companies. There's going to be, you know, maybe a nonprofit organization 
a real foundation that comes up one day, like, you know, in judo that starts to regulate things that is not at the hands of uh, basically Gracie Baja and the IBJJF. What are your thoughts? Well, that's a nice question. I, um, I don't think it's going to happen in my jujitsu lifetime. I mean, maybe, Mm. maybe when I'm like older, but like just hanging out with Chris and listening to him, it's like, we all still support the IBJJF. And, you know, when I was competing, if I wanted to get matches, I had to do IBJJF tournaments because, you know, the local ones would have like five white belt chicks and that was it, you know? Um, Mm. And when I start, when I was competing as a a brown belt, it was brown and black divisions combined because that's how few women there were. And now having the age divisions, being able to compete in your own like age bracket, your age and your weight. Like, I think that that's really great that people who want to do that still, you know, who aren't as wrecked as I am, um, can still compete within their age division. And like how, how many, um, 125, 45 year old female black belts, that still want to compete are there and they all go to the IBJJF to be at the same place. So for some other company to completely take that over or not even company, like to create, like you said, like more of like a nonprofit or go towards Olympic sport or whatever. Um, I, I believe that the Brazilians are probably too powerful at this point to overtake it. And um, that all the people, People recognize it. People who want to compete recognize it. I don't think that I have any interest in trying to overthrow the IBJJF. I um, have a student who wants us to do a tournament and like I wouldn't be opposed to participating in some kind of tournament. But um, I think it would really take like a team of people who were dedicated to making that happen. And here's the other thing. Those people would have to be either independently wealthy or have you know, jobs that they're working at and be able to give just for the passion of giving to not become another IBJJF, right? Because there's so much mm-hmm. money in the competition scene yeah. that I don't really see anybody just being altruistic saying, we're going to start doing free tournaments, you know, tournaments just for free. Right. Like literally that's probably how it would have to start. It would have to be some kind of grassroots thing where people said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to create like a, 10 year plan to get to the point where we can turn this thing around. And then they would have to be like full on with, with marketing and advertising and getting the word out and letting people know what they were trying to do and their mission. And it seems like a lot, a lot of work. It's definitely not something I'd be up for (laughs) (laughs) overthrowing the IBJJF overthrow the, uh, the dictators. Yeah. Well, you know, look, I, ADCC does a good job with what they're but isn't doing. That for you know, profit sports. Also? They're for profit, but at least they're not doing the same thing, trying to control who, who, what belt somebody has. Like with the IBJJF, you're not registered with them. They say you're not a real black belt. Oh, right. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah. a farce, which is a scam. I mean, Jiu Jitsu World League is doing great. We, we do the, we support the Jiu Jitsu World League tournaments um, because they're, they're not like trying to fleece people for money saying if you don't, register with us for, for, you know, X, Y, Z, how many thousands of dollars, you're not a real black belt yeah, or you're not X, Y, Z belt, which is, is a scam. 
it's a scam in and of itself. They want know? everybody They're to pay really thirty-five dollars your... a year to have their membership card or something like that, right? Yeah, and then it gets it's it's even more than that. If you know, for a black belt, and if you're going to have students, and it's going to have them compete, it, there's a whole bunch of nonsense. Anyways, so we're going to have everybody go to combatbase.com, right? Yeah, combatbase.com. Here's the thing, too. If you just want to know like what we're doing, you'd always sign up for our mailing list. And that takes like, there's really no commitment other than you'll get emails from me and I'll be saying, here's where Chris is for seminars. If I happen to be doing a seminar, you'll find out about that too. Here's kind of like what we're doing with the club. Here's what we're doing with the camps and stuff like that. So I, I send out emails. I don't think they're obnoxious. I think they're like maybe once a week Mm -hmm. or something, if that. Um, so if you sign up for the mailing list, you can find out more about what we're doing. And you can also look at combatbase.com, uh, the different you know programs we're offering. And um, there's other information on there, too, in terms of like black belts that are being ranked through Combat Base. You can see their profiles and things like that. So, um, yeah. So I think, you know, there's stuff you can check out on the site. Okay. In the website, so when they go to the website, that's where they're going to sign up for the mailing yeah, list? Yeah, there's an option if they okay. scroll down the page to sign up for our newsletter. Awesome. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure and an honor, and I, I you mean so much to me, and I'm so glad we were able to do this. And uh, Ed, any last questions for the no. Queen of Grappling? <laughs> No, again, my my big thing is I, I'm extremely grateful for you um, giving us your time to be on our show um, and supporting the show. Um, and honestly, like I said earlier, I think, again, the way that you trained Coach Brian resonates into how he coaches me. And I don't mean that as a just an advertisement on the show for PCI Jiu-Jitsu, but in the <laughs> sense that there is, again, with this concept around academics, um, you know, academic people, academically minded people in a sport and how the training and the lessons and the curriculum is formulated and how it's teached and passed down from one person to another. I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful that first off, if you being an educator, just in general, I don't think teachers get enough credit for, for what they do and who they are. Um, and so, but that you have transcended from that into as well as with jujitsu and again, you're seeing that product of how you teach go through Coach Brian down to me and to you know everybody else at PCI Jiu-Jitsu. So really, it's just more or less from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all that you do. So yeah, that's well, it for thank me. Thank you both. You're both <laughs> way too kind. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We'll kick this out and uh, sign off. Here we go.